my terrain is really between the text and its context. When I bring in respondents into the equation, then it becomes even more uh, complex. So for my uh, starting point, uh, I, I, and, and, and your emphasis on practice, I found Stanley Tambia's uh, 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 notion of performance where he compares religious ritual to dance as, as a form of social ceremonial whose essential character is that it is rhythmical and this rhythmical nature enables a person to join in the same action and perform them as a body. Now, drawing upon Ratcliffe Brown, and I quote, any marked rhythm exercises on those submitted to its influence a constraint, impelling them to yield to it and to permit it to direct and regulate the movements of body, even those of the mind, unquote. According to Thambia, fixed rhythms and fixed pitch are required for the performance of joint social activity. Those who resist submitting to the constraining influence of the collective ritual are likely to experience a disconcerted feeling. Sorry, how do I... Oh. All right. Left and right arrows. Left and oh, right, okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of course, this little one won't feel disconcerted. Uh, uh, this is more for amusement. Uh, uh, but an entirely appropriate facial expression. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, now all, all collective rituals have an aspect of external constraint and internal surrender. And the description of constraint uh, is really in terms of external regulations. But the internal surrender refers to that domain which is far more complex uh, or perhaps it's so experientially rich that language can only approximate and really in a very provisional sense. Uh, there are others who perhaps would like to describe it in other terms. While the constraint refers to the force of collectivity, the experience of self-surrender is part of the individual experience. Every ritual has elements of performance, and this is backed up by other elements such as songs, dance, and imagination that embodies belief or a complex cosmology. In other words, there are different media that are frequently combined in a ritual. To put it differently, all ritual occasions appear to share some features, an ordering or procedure that structures them, a sense of collective or communal enactment that is purposive, focused on achieving a particular goal, and awareness that such events are different from the routine events of everyday life. Sometimes collective rituals have an added feature of high effective engagement. This may be a situation of festivity or mourning. On such occasions, there is another feature where certain devices of communication are used to bring about some connection between the participating believer and the extraordinary object of belief. Now, you mentioned about uh, Sufi Zikr, and you thought I would be talking about Sufi Zikr. Actually, Sufi Zikr 
uh, is just one chapter in the larger rubric of Islamic prayer. I would actually refer to this prayer five times, uh, and and which is done either in congregation or individually. One reason why anthropologists and sociologists have found it very difficult to attend to this aspect, this, this particular phenomenon, is because prayer five times uh, is, is worked out to such an exact detail and repetitive formula that uh, it is difficult to say what other stories attached to it. I've had a problem talking to people who are very devout Muslims, asking them, what is your experience of Islamic prayer? And they would say, well, they do it because it's, they are expected to do it. Uh, This is really roughly from the manual, uh, and and uh, the manual really doesn't tell us anything about. Uh, uh, it, it it tells you about the external postures, but to to all these postures are internally oriented, uh, and perhaps uh, uh, one could go into biographies of saints of uh, pious people uh, who have had the time to reflect on various postures and what it meant for them. Uh, other than that, ordinary people find it very difficult to comment on uh, their internal internal trajectory or the internal journey uh, uh, everyday prayer really spurs. Uh, perhaps one clarity that we get uh, oh sorry what have I done yeah. I get this template from a Quranic verse and I find it very anthropological uh, uh, this is not from Quran faith in itself like the blood, blood beat and is prior to externally contrived regulation or use this is, this is, this is my uh, starting point but actually this Surah 107 Al-Ma'un of Quran, there is a description of a character who prays but only to show to people rather than relate to God. And such a person lacks the capacity to relate to the orphans and the needy and withhold from others simple things of daily use. And here the dominant theological expectation is that the prayer if it has really touched the internal cord of the person, it is likely to connect to well-being of people and make difference to collective life. Otherwise, uh, uh, prayer in itself is meaningless according to this template. Uh, now, what is that inside which the prayer touches, or perhaps is expected to touch, 
and instantly it connects you to people outside. Is it fire inside? What are the metaphors that people have used to understand that core? <clears throat> Uh, before uh, entering into these postures, there is there is uh, this practice of ablution, washing, ritual washing, uh, cleaning of the body, uh, uh, not the entire body, but uh, just the certain parts of it, and. Uh, which perhaps one could understand in terms of the sacred-secular divide or, or Van Gennep's uh, rites of passage, that one is engaged, there's a worldly engagement and one tries to distance oneself from, from that domain, uh, initiates oneself into the other. And then, uh, uh, before and after the prayer, there is the same mundane world. According to the template of Quran, it is expected that after one has cleared uh, or, or, or one has finished with the prayer that you enter into the world as a different person. But it doesn't happen uh, uh, all the time. Uh, it's formulaic uh, for most people, routinized, and sometimes one suspects that it does anything inside. Uh, uh, and 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 therefore this remains an anthropological challenge. As I was reading Marcel Moss, and Marcel Moss, uh, not to be taken very seriously, perhaps Pickering's uh, introduction is better than Marcel Moss in many ways. Uh, sorry for this uh, uh, not a good remark. Uh, but I have thought that prayer could be understood in terms of, uh, in terms of a tool uh, in use and in an idle condition. And Prayer, uh, if, if prayer is regarded as, as, as a tool, a tool not in a very mechanical sense, uh, but as much as your body is a tool, uh, that it has an everyday uh, uh, use in the sense of uh, uh, a, a weapon not in use in war, but the soldiers are just sort of oiling it and taking care of it so that when we use it in life, in war, uh, they would be really fine. And, and uh, I feel that m the bulk of attention on the Islamic prayer is really tool in its idle condition. And therefore perhaps this question when we ask, uh, what does it do to you? Uh, most people actually have no answer is because uh, the tool remains with them without without much use. But then uh, uh, the most interesting dimension which some of the anthropologists have uh, uh, found interesting is uh, really when uh, people pray in relation to a crisis of life. And some anthropologists who have worked on North Africa and, and the Middle East uh, have found uh, rain ritual uh, to be a very important uh, dimension 
uh, where the region of Sahel, for example, or, or Jordan, North Africa, where periodically there's a condition of drought. And there is also this belief that drought has set in because people were disobedient, uh, not, not followed God's will. And uh, this coming together uh, is, is really to admit that... Uh, we shall now be different uh, from our previous state. And again, Nadia Abu Zahra, who has worked on uh, uh, rain ritual in, in the region of Sahel, uh, points out that Van Ginnup's transition uh, of this rites of passage, in some sense this notion can be deployed in the understanding of people who suffer a lot of uh, turmoil, uh, trouble of the soul, and entering into this kind of collective prayer is really... Uh, Was there a Jewish... Were there two Jewish people in uh, Yes, yes, there, there, there are... I mean, in fact, it's a very interesting uh, situation... Uh, this is, of course, uh, uh, more specific to the region, mm. and so there are perhaps different different communities that <coughs> engage in rain ritual in their own way. Uh, but belonging to a region and suffering a common mm. challenge uh, is what what perhaps gives a kind of a common ritual. Uh, and uh, so, this is really to bring. Van Gennep's notion that when one encounters a crisis and is suffering from uh, deep distress, uh, which is really the distress of the soul in some sense, uh, the rain ritual is really an aspect of bringing about spiritual regeneration. And the community is wider in that sense. And the community is wider in that sense. Whether they come together uh, in areas where perhaps there is a mix uh, uh, of the two traditions, do they do it together? Uh, perhaps not, uh, uh, because that would be that would be reflecting uh, the, the normal uh, everyday insulations that people have. Uh, but uh, it's such an interesting commonality in the two. Now, performing in, in the performance in rain ritual also connects to other, other anticipations and other practices in social regeneration. There is also the fertility rite, which is also uh, attached to, to, to rain ritual, though not exactly part of it, but it fits into the larger story of regeneration. And therefore there are uh, women who sing songs and uh, participate in a common ritual. The anticipate the expectation is that uh, they would uh, also uh, the, the the community would increase even in a very physical sense, uh, and there is an expectation that in future people will be more obedient to God, and and perhaps there will be better days ahead. So uh, uh, it's it's from the trouble to 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 anticipating 
um, and, and, and being hopeful is really the whole story. Oops. Now, Nilofar Hairi, the anthropologist at, at, at Princeton, argues that uh, this, this is really the, the, the unit of, of a prayer, whether you do it alone or in congregation, although she feels that one ought to make a distinction between uh, praying alone and praying in congregation. But theological literature and, and, and some of the reflections of, of those uh, who uh, were who articulated this experience, they point out that uh, prayer in congregation is different from praying alone. Uh, I, as an anthropologist, would like to argue that praying in congregation is really to accommodate ordinary people, average people, I don't know what it means, uh, but people who are more engaged in their everyday life and they should be really connected to uh, uh, the, the, the common rhythm uh, around around prayer uh, it's for them otherwise uh, there are stories uh, uh, starting from prophet muhammad uh, and and his companions to to those who have followed the tradition that uh, praying alone requires far more intensity uh, and There's one uh, 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 one attribute of uh, praying with intensity, and that's called khushu. Cheshin wow and khushu. And the meaning of khushu in prayer uh, is to is to stand in prayer in a manner as if this was your last prayer. Now these are these are really uh, 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 broad reflections um, by those who have reflected on 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 this practice, and uh, to to pray in a manner and, and that one refrains from uh, uh, utterances uh, which you may later regret and withdraw all hopes from material wealth. In prayer, one is imploring with the Creator. Thus, one must also be aware of how one is doing it recite namaz as if one is bidding farewell to the world as if you are looking at god and if you can't do that meaning if you can't look at god then god is looking at you in the judaic tradition uh, you can't look at god because if you actually manage to look at god uh, you would be burnt or destroyed going back to the earlier template uh, that Prayer, the deep experience of prayer connects to some welfare outside. Uh, there is, and, and then prayer in intervention, meaning uh, when one confronts crisis, uh, one turns to prayer. Uh, this actually has a tradition attributed to the Prophet that whenever the Prophet faced any difficulty, as part of the solution, he would first turn to the prayer. It is said that when Prophet adopted Hushu, as a broad orientation, he wept. Now, body uh, emotions and, and external manifestations of those emotions, uh, in in some sense, uh, in 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 the larger uh, 
epistemology or or uh, the template of knowledge it is considered as a principle of validity if one has wept then something truthful is has gone inside and then close to this uh, 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 khushu is a story about a companion of the prophet who was praying and during that that time a snake fell on his son and there was commotion in the house everyone was sh- shouting snake snake and then the snake was thrown away but the companion was in a state of prayer and he didn't know what was happening in the house this is part a uh, story from a hadith sorry my oh yeah okay right now and the practical challenge remains unanswered nilofar hairi when uh, uh, she actually focused on uh, performing uh, a salat which is the arabic name for for islamic prayer uh she focuses exclusively on prayer individually performed and she takes the view that while prayer cannot be read off from the manual and manual uses formula and and repeated re- repetition and on the face of it one reason why anthropologists have not gone much into uh, uh, islamic prayer the, the the dominant five times a day prayer uh, uh is because uh, it it repeats itself and uh, it, it 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 doesn't very easily lend itself to a very interesting exciting anthropological story and nilofar hairi actually refutes this claim and she says that she in fact uh, interviewed uh, uh women educated middle class uh perhaps uh, aged more than 40 uh, to be able to re- uh, reflect on on the experience of 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 salat and then uh, some of her findings actually bring out the agency within although i don't want to use the word agency um, anthropologists must actually recite some of their own concepts so much a bit like a believer who must resort to repetitive formula uh, uh, so so she discovers agency uh, in those who perform salat in the choice of their verses uh, in attributing or linking uh, very personal stories uh, into the act of uh, uh, experience some of uh, uh, the shall i call it evangelical tradition in in islam the tablighs those who actually carry their faith as a portable uh kit uh, moving transnationally uh they have used prayer and lots of stories that they attach to prayer uh and in some sense uh, uh the 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 divinity uh, which from the manual appears to have to be just possessing attributes 
in the stories in this evangelical tradition, I don't know why am I using evangelical, uh, uh, but these people who move door to door inviting people to the fold, to their fold, um, use stories where God is not merely uh, a, a cluster of attributes, but is quite personalized. They are almost into relationship with divinity as, as an ego to an altar. And the ego and altar are so intertwined. Uh, but how would an anthropologist really grasp that? Uh, grasping that would mean uh, uh, trying to capture the non-empirical claims made by the actors, but so be it. Uh, this is what anthropologists do all the time. And uh, in one of the story, uh, uh, this person who, uh, who whose father suffers from some ailment, um, and he resorts to he, he turns to God um, as if to a friend for succor, and he beseeched Allah through prayer, saying that he was unable to take the burden any longer and was passing it on to him. This respondent of mine. Uh, felt relaxed after taking Allah into confidence. And prior to receiving help from Allah for two days, Ahmad chose not to speak to Allah about his particular problem, for in his judgment Allah had become indifferent to him. Nonetheless, he maintained the relationship with Allah through the first namaz, which are the mandatory prayers. And for this person, Allah is a friend who looks after him and has never let him down, except in cases of tragic happenings, which Allah does not explain. Now, some of these stories actually circulate uh, uh, in, the, in this particular tradition in this, um, among these people and this uh, sort of forms a very personal relationship to God. Uh, so, basically, uh, while trying to capture Islamic prayer in a very performative, performative sense, uh, I, I, I would say that there are three, three very important elements. There is a conventional act, there is a, there is a staging or a performance uh, that perhaps uh, doesn't use many other uh, devices, but there are background stories uh, and, and regulations uh, that perhaps organize experience and the event with intensity and that uh, being performed by participants in a very important sense, i.e. the entire performance rests on what the actors attach to it and what they infer by it. But uh, this usually is evident when the prayer is put to use uh, rather than being looked after in an idle state. We've got time for discussions and questions. Yeah. Can I yes, come in with something you were talking about reasonably early on, and that is the link between prayer, and it was community prayer you were talking about at that stage, and um, your relationship with the wider society, or, for instance, caring for orphans. Um, is it significant in relationship to that that as you go into a mosque for communal prayer, you just have to fill in the spaces wherever. So you don't 
choose yeah. who you're going to sit by. I know you're not yeah. sitting, but yeah. <laughs> well, not till the end. And therefore, in a way, you're affirming the widest congregation you're part of. Of course, that will vary. As to, if you're in a village, you may very well know everybody anyway, but if you're in a bigger context, it's just a matter of these are your fellow human beings, so you're going to be with them, whoever they are. And also that at the end of the cycle of prayer, you're turning to whoever is on the right and the left to say, as is that part, do you think, or have I you know, misjudged that, of that kind of relating your prayer as an individual, as part of the community, with the wider affirmation of your care for people? Maybe this is more normative, what you're, what, what you're mm. describing. But as an anthropologist, when one goes into the field, mm. one realizes that uh, mosques are actually organized around their denominational differences. Yeah. There is also a gender divide. Yes, yes, Not yes. every mosque would permit uh, women no, no, no. Uh, no, to... No, I, to, I assume that. Uh, that's one. Mm. And uh, the de denominational difference actually could be so pronounced in certain areas mm. that uh, if uh, people get to know that uh, the group of people who just prayed in their mosque did not belong to their denomination... In fact, this Tabligi uh, tradition, the, the, the evangelical tradition... Uh, is so despised by some of the Barelvis that they can, they would actually like to wash their mosques, uh, I mean, clean it uh, uh, with with good uh, bacterial and you know antibacterial and yeah, because it has been polluted. Mm. So they use antibacterial here in Europe, but back home they're different. Yeah. Right. So so what I'm trying to say is that there are certain classifications and certain di principles of differentiation. That, that, that society imposes on, on, on the mosque. Mm. And uh, theologically, of course, the, you know, it's, uh, it's a melting pot. But this melting pot uh, doesn't always behave as a melting mm. pot in, in, in the social media. Doesn't it show that anthropology really doesn't bring you very far, you know, from looking at prayer? It's like when a, when a professor for chemistry talks about love, you know, that, what does he measure exactly? The neurons in your brain? Or, or, so it, it must be something different. Or when two, let's not talk about prayer, when two, two persons, same sex or different sex, love each other, or friendship. So, you know, how does an anthropologist look at that? You can look at the outside manifestation and say, okay, these are the signs, and, and therefore I conclude that this is like that. Or I mean, I'm forever. Uh, anthropologist ally is, is the respondent and or, or, or the hosts in the field. Mm -hmm. And uh, one cannot go, or perhaps one cannot go beyond or perhaps uh, uh, assume a position which is more than what the, uh, the respondents can actually hold. Mm -hmm. So forever anthropologist is dependent on the narratives which one gets uh, from, from the respondents. And it is forever story uh, sharing of stories. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, there, there is a long, long night uh, of the soul uh, in terms of ignorance, and, and uh, these stories are to be shared. 
perhaps uh, um, other stories uh, replaced by by you know previous stories if they are more adequate and more more beautiful but is it in islam something what you will call a spiritual prayer without words is there something like that either by yourself or in in a congregation if i if i can very very beautiful thing you have pointed out but i'll i'll sort of give it a different spin uh, uh there is uh, a dis- description if i can quickly uh, uh which is a description of uh those who are reciting prayer without understanding it and uh, the comment is that uh, it is gibberish if you haven't understood it in other words prayer really are the vehicles and that those vehicles Uh, must take you to another station if they aren't doing that then the vehicles are not performing now what is that other station beyond the words yeah. i would say that is in fact the domain you are referring yeah. to uh, now if i if i take your question to 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 refer to a- another practice where are we trying to say that there is some segment of uh, even zikr doesn't do that zikr also uses some repetitive chant uh, so pure meditation in a buddhist tradition like a sat uh, or not only what you do but also what happens to you absolutely so absolutely it's a two way thing absolutely i mean in, in meditation you surrender and then after surrender there is you encounter yeah, yeah. and yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, is is uh, is the same like the story of moses with that appears in quran where uh, is 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 fire the vehicle uh, and then one encounters the news uh, or one receives the news uh, these are broad metaphors really uh, but of course very important questions so how do how do you listen to to allah very good question uh, and linking with that <laughs> and i think i remember a sufi poet maybe in rumi where the whole idea that when you call allah it is actually that that call has been planted in you as a human being so that whole sense of the other in a way is removed and i can think of examples from other religious traditions where that idea is actually articulated or slightly differently so you know your the allah in a way is is the voice of god within you that you're calling out to god so the relationship is planted in you by god in the first place i mean uh, uh some of the descriptions uh which i get about islamic prayer that in 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 terms of a conversation mm-hmm. uh in terms of the fact that you can't just enter into that conversation so khushu really is uh putting your body in that state that you can receive mm-hmm. now putting your body in a state that you can receive entails some 
distancing of the body being from the humdrum, from the routine, or perhaps emptying yourself. Farigh is the word in Urdu. I know what is it in Arabic? Faragat. Uh, to just to empty. Faragha is to, to empty. Faragha is, is to empty. Yeah. Kinosis, uh, I get it from yes. the uh, uh, Christian tradition. Two Philippians, yeah. yes. Empty. Or in Zen, you, you cannot pour tea into a full cup. Yeah. You know, you have to empty it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely, exactly. So, so it's a bit like that. Uh, is flute. Yes, yes. So, right. And emptying and receiving, and understandably, uh, sorry, very crude metaphor, but in radio, when you receive, there has to be some software inside to receive it. Otherwise, those signals won't. Uh, th th this is a metaphor which some of the Sufi tradition has used. Exactly uh, this radio and receiving of the transmission. Uh, so, yeah. But do any of your ever articulate that sort of perception of what's happening? I get my informants from two sources. One is the autobiographies of, of uh, uh, Alim or, or Sufis, and they would provide uh, a lot of uh, you know, good, good stories. Mm -hmm. Somehow I was asking um, my imam here in Oxford, I'm sorry, in, in Oxford Centre, uh, of such stories, and I said, "Could you help me?" And of course, he was—he's very humble, and he says, "I can refer," to, you know, uh, and, and he gave me a couple of references, and I got some of these stories from there. But the Tablighi tradition, which has actually popularized uh, the 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 capacity to articulate sacred knowledge among a whole lot of people—I mean, anybody can actually become a Tablighi and and immediately speak. So many, many people actually reflect now on their experiences of prayer and come close to what you're describing. Yeah. This is, I've got one, I think it might be two questions, but I think it's probably one if I can formulate it into two, two questions or one thing. There were two, um, at the beginning of your talk, you compared ritual to, to dance or prayer mm -hmm. to dance. Uh, I thought that I was struck by that. And the second thing that struck me was the um, you ask your informants about about prayer, and uh, they say, "Oh, we just do it because uh, we we're told to do it, or we do it because tradition dictates that we do it." And so those two things, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That actually there's no conscious meanings in people's mind when they're performing rituals, and that. Um, Isadora Duncan once said about dance, if, if I knew what it meant, I wouldn't have to uh, dance it. Uh, so it, I mean, I'm wondering if there, there's a, um, some impulsion, perhaps a biological impulsion even, that, that drives people to pray, and so on, which is outside of conscious beings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was comparing uh, uh, ritual with a whole lot of other performative acts, <coughs> performing arts, uh, the idea is to say that the, the dance is really not a very spontaneous activity, but that it has a grammar. Mm. Uh, it constrains you in beautiful ways from outside. And then uh, there is also this internal surrender that if you internalize that grammar, uh, the, 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 there, is, there is something beyond that constraining. Yes. There is a very enabling uh, terrain, so to say. Mm. 
and then perhaps uh, one discovers more than what the external regulations are really implying. Uh, about this formulaic thing, I have uh, it, it could perhaps I mean if if I take Nilofar Hairi's uh, study uh, on on uh, performative uh, aspect of of Islamic prayer. Uh, she titles it as the private performance of Salat prayer, repetition, time, and meaning. And I, 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 I think that uh, one, it, in, in terms of what uh, individuals derive out of the experience of prayer, one could actually put them in a kind of a gradation or uh, a, a scale of who is getting more and who is getting, who is just limited to the formula. And Nilufar Hairi uh, takes a wide segment of people uh, and then realizes that if you are educated, if you ha are in the habit of reflecting on your experiences, uh, in, in other words, it presupposes some literacy, uh, some capacity to reflect and share and uh, return to that, uh, revisit that, that experience. So it presupposes some kind of uh, a, a prior disposition and, and, and capacity. I'm a bit skeptical uh, of that myself. Sorry? I'm a bit skeptical of that myself, of mm -hmm. that position, in the sense that um, uh, that, in, in, that reflection tells kind of language capacity and some sophistication and understanding what you're doing. But I, I'm, I'm wondering if that actually is... Um, it's always after the fact, as it were. Um, it, it is after the fact. Indeed, uh, indeed, it is after the fact. Um, and not necessary, perhaps, uh, for, the, for the act itself. The, the thing is that this terrain beyond the external regulation, uh, there is no other way an anthropologist can actually grasp that without uh, oh, yeah. uh, your... your you, you have know, to be able to speak. Now, if I may uh, raise another question, uh, which is that, is that beyond something so obvious that whoever enters is able to grasp it? Mm -hmm. I, I would tend to feel that there is more of uh, a practical consciousness, really, uh, rather than a very discursive <laughs> consciousness mm -hmm. attached to uh, making sense of what is happening. And and to be honest, uh, um, I mean, if I if I if I draw upon some of my autobiographical reflections, um, um, there there was this uh, uh, back when I when I was doing my BSc, I met with an accident, and those were the days when we didn't have the social media or this very easy communication, so there was this gap between uh, the time I was supposed to have returned. And, and the time when people, my, my parents discovered that I'm hospitalized. Mm -hmm. and, and so when my mother actually got this news, the first thing she did was to offer prayer. And she says, give me, give me this little time. And she immediately was in the mood of prayer. Long time later, I asked her, what was her experience? She says, this is normal. I mean, what, what are you asking? Uh, and in, in in other words, it's just like uh, asking a physiologist about blood and asking an ordinary person about blood. Mm. Uh, perhaps you have to have special instruments to really uh, get into the texture of uh, the substance you are dealing with. Otherwise, you just live it without having to reflect about it.
So Al-Ghazali Perhaps. could have sophisticated understanding of prayer or something, but an ordinary practitioner might, might well not, and yeah. might not even think about it, yeah. but nevertheless feel impelled to do it. Mm. That's very interesting. Yes, that, that is the key thing, yeah. really, that it becomes part of your habit and you do it. Ordinary people uh, would, uh, would sort of savor that, that experience so much that in ordinary conversation, uh, um, in ordinary sharing of experiences, uh, a father asks his daughter, who is traveling to the United States from India, reached New York. Have you reached safely? Yes. Were you able to perform the Asr prayer? <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, the, Yes, internal impulsion and being part of doing it and because it does something to you, but what it does really requires. It's a bit like life in general. But there is an expression on that child's face which is communicative. I wasn't <laughs> just joking when I said that. It's a communication. You know, are there other ways in which people communicate other than the sophistication of words? Peggy, this is a very interesting uh, experience in most uh, uh, mosques. I remember uh, when I was little el el elder to, 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 to this <laughs> child, uh, I was in class four, and this was a city in North India. Uh, I used to go to the mosque, and there were many, many children who, who uh, were also coming to, to, to that mosque. Perhaps this was the reflection of the mm -hmm. environing demography. And what we used to do was that we didn't take our prayer very seriously. Of course, I took very seriously. I was the most <laughs> serious person. Uh, but all my friends, who would, they would giggle and they would sort of play and they would uh, come in the state of uh, uh, prayer and then immediately just break it. So this imam got perturbed. He says, what is this? You're spoiling our own you know, decorum. Mm. Uh, it was a double-storied mosque. So I was given this uh, responsibility to become the imam of those children. Uh, and he would stand at the back and he would make sure that we clear first, get out of the mosque so that adults can pray yes. in silence. Yes. So, so, <laughs> all sorts of, uh, yeah. I think it's very difficult to grasp the uh, subjective aspect of, of uh, uh, prayer generally, but especially in this experience. I don't know if there's one episteme or another that's that's perhaps better uh, at it. And of course, everyone is in their different cultural or uh, ethnic or national environment. So, for instance, one <coughs> of the issues that came up with uh, Dr. Hayari, who spoke here, um, was uh, the use of uh, poetry, Persian poetry, yeah. in mm -hmm. prayer in Iran. So the greats, Hafez, Saadi, and so on, are part of the uh, religious practice, and uh, there's a kind of semi-religious sphere of sharing poetry. Women will drive uh, to the other end of the city to meet in circles and uh, share strictly poetry, uh, but it's oftentimes uh, mystical poetry, or it has some other kind of uh, religious applications, such as uh, poetry rumi. So. So people receive, I suppose, their their experience uh, uh, that way, and um, and there is, uh, I think, uh, 
a textual tradition, especially in the uh, South Asian context, of uh, some of the uh, esoteric anatomy that we see in the, of concentrating on esoteric uh, anatomy and other meditative objects as we see in the Indic tradition. So there are Sufi texts that uh, uh, talk about chakras and uh, flows of energy and so on. Mostly at a later period, from from what I know, I haven't looked at that uh, question in great detail. Whereas you don't see that really in the Mediterranean uh, tradition, by and large, that I'm uh, familiar with. And sometimes these 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 practices, for lack of a better term, leak into other uh, traditions. So uh, you don't see it as much in the Catholic tradition, and certainly not in the Protestant tradition. But in the Orthodox tradition, there's this one branch that has a practice of silence mm -hmm. that focuses on uh, meditative uh, objects in, uh, in the body or uh, in the surrounding space. And uh, this may come through a Buddhist channel, uh, a medieval Buddhist channel, uh, rather than, let's say, a Hindu channel. But I do think this sharing uh, is a, is a long-standing uh, phenomenon. So I think it's terribly hard to pin down mm -hmm. Uh, common elements, but one uh, element uh, that uh, that uh, you pointed out was the uh, collective nature of, of much of the uh, uh, prayer. Uh, so, you know, we have this uh, phenomenon of uh, Muhammad going uh, and receiving uh, individual revelation uh, in the uh, mountains around Mecca, but then the, the very idea of uh, going to prayer on Friday in Arabic is that it's so it's the day of Jama'ah, so everybody's coming together on, on that day. And the, mat, the, the large mosque itself is a, a Jama'ah, so uh, there's this emphasis on, on commun communal prayer, and, uh, communal action. And, and sometimes I, 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 we have to say that we can't uh, localize it uh, uh, nationally. Because there was an attempt, for instance, in the early 20th century, immediately after the foundation of the Church Republic, to have the uh, the uh, the event the, the call to prayer in Turkish. So instead of God, there was Tendra and, and so on. And uh, you can find recordings of it, but this was rejected <laughs> within a short period of time. So you know there are common elements. Um, it is interesting to ask too where there's music, which I know is controversial, uh, whether the music is in fact um, a means of praying a medium of prayer, or whether it is actually an expression of the meaning of prayer. And I think it's very difficult, uh, and you could say this with body movements, I mean, that Gavin's interest in the dance, is it Marat that says religion is more often danced out than thought out? Who says that? I think it might have been Marat, the anthropologist. Yeah. But, um, you know, it is the music where there is music, and I, I say I know that's sure, controversial. Mozart, Mozart said, you know, that... Mozart once said that uh, music and theology, and mm -hmm. he said once uh, that a Protestant could never understand his church music because they don't believe in transubstantiation. So, so they would never understand his Agnus Dei music. You know? mm -hmm. so, so music is a, is a carrier. Now, a prayer. Uh, this prayer five times, or perhaps praying alone, uh, or, or the prayer as it flows from the theological tradition, uh, of course, there's no 
it, it doesn't use music. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. But if one goes deeper into music, which is the other name for rhythm, then yes, there is a lot of rhythm in, mm -hmm. in, in these prayers and therefore there is a, there's something which is common to both music and, and prayer. However, Sufis have used music in a big way. And yeah, Qawwali, yeah. uh, and, and the whole uh, uh, debate about Sama, uh, uh, which is uh, uh, using uh, uh, music as a medium uh, which, which allows you to connect to God mm. or divinity. Uh, and uh, Sama uh, is, is a debatable thing among the Sufi tradition. Some of the Naqshbandiya Sufi groups, uh, they sort of uh, don't like Sama at all, mm -hmm. and it's uh, banned. Mm -hmm. But some of the Chishti Sufi orders, they have used Sama extensively. And this whole Qawwali actually has emerged from the monastic tradition, mm -hmm. uh, the, the Hanqa tradition of, of Sufi. Uh, and, and it started by Amir Khosro, the 13th century saint. Now, uh, in the experience of Sama, there comes a point which is called Hal. And Hal is that ecstatic communion of the believer with divinity. Uh, Hal. And, but Tishti Sufi tradition has always existed in relation to other Sufi traditions. And at some point there is also a power relation. So Chishtis have been very poor transnationally. They have been very poor in their public relation, partly because they made their symbolism so complex, so complex and so beautiful. Aesthetically, it's the finest tradition. And I think if you are sort of so elaborate and complex in your, uh, you know, in interpreting the entire uh, uh, thought, uh, Becomes, the whole package becomes very heavy. You can't carry it uh, across borders, national borders, whatever. Mm -hmm. And the Nakhshbandiya tradition is really like those spores that can float in the air. Mm -hmm. uh, so you would find Nakhshbandiya tradition in North Africa, in, in Central Asia, in, 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 in other parts. And uh, they're very active in politics and in all other spheres. Uh, but actually... But this is to do, I, I, I mustn't comment as, as an anthropologist, but um, let me bring in my personal, uh, you know, uh, taste about the whole. I, I love Catholic, uh, this uh, Chishti tradition, um, and, and their Kavali and, and their experiments in food. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tony. That was really thought-provoking and uh, a great start to this, uh, this series. And... Um, I've got several other questions, but I think we have to stop now. So uh, thank you so much for coming to share your thoughts with us.